It's the Big Gay Fiction Podcast's Extra Special, 100th episode, Celebration, Spectacular, Special, with your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knaus, starring best-selling author, Andrew Gray, featuring Broadway legend, Patti LuPone, Wolfman Jack, the ghost of Jacqueline Suzanne, and Batman. With special musical guests, Barbara Mandrell and the cast of Hamilton. And now, here's Jeff and Will. Welcome everybody to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast's extra special 100th episode, Celebration Spectacular Special. I'm Jeff from JeffAdamsWrites.com. And I'm Will from WillCanals.com. This week's episode, this week's 100th episode, is sponsored in part by listeners just like you. We'll have a little more information on how you can help support this podcast in just a few moments. 100 episodes. <laughs> That's my noisemaker sound. <laughs> yes. Congratulations, sir. We have champagne on the video. Pop you the champagne. Us. Let's get this party started. See us that we've got champagne here, mm-hmm. which I'm going to try and open, you know, live on air and hope I don't like make a disastrous mess on, on, on the set. So did you think we'd get to a hundred when we started this? Could you conceive a hundred? No, I don't think a hundred was, Ooh, that was pretty. Look at this. The, the poof bit made on the, uh, on the recorder. Uh, I, I couldn't conceive quite a 100. Uh, so... Uh, it's not, well, I don't know. What do you think? I don't think it's a surprise we made it to 100. No, I, I, I'm not really, I guess I'm not surprised because I think once we knew, once we were starting this, unless it proved to be some sort of an epic disaster of some kind, that it would in fact keep going. Um, I guess it's the fact that it's been 100 episodes and yet it feels like just a few weeks ago that we were sitting in our hotel room at GRL in San Diego doing some of the first interviews and we were just starting to tell people that the podcast was going to premiere that 1st of November. Mm-hmm. Cheers. Cheers to you, sir. Uh, cheers to all of our listeners as well. Whether you've been listening since episode one or whether this is the very first episode you have ever encountered, we are very grateful that you have joined us on this journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Thank you very, very much. Any particular highlights of 100 episodes for you? Nope. How about you? They're all kind of highlights in their own <laughs> little way, which is such a cop-out answer, but there's so many great authors we've gotten to talk to and other creatives who aren't necessarily authors but bring gay fiction to, to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been pretty amazing to me, some of the guests we've had on all along the way. Yeah. yeah. It's been a wild ride so far. I'm looking forward to the next 100. Now, tell us. We've got a very special giveaway for this very special episode. We do. Uh, our friends at Dream Spinner Press are helping us celebrate our 100th episode by donating a $100 gift card, uh, which we're giving away to one lucky listener via a raffle copter that's on this week's show notes. So we can't thank DreamSpinner enough for helping make our 100th episode even more extra special. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yes. So another another reason to raise our champagne glasses, clank, is this September 7th, which is just a few days 
from now. I don't know what day that week this this week that is, <laughs> but we'll be celebrating our twentieth wedding anniversary. Uh, I was just doing the math in my head, and it's like, oh, I guess you're right. <laughs> yeah. 1997 to 2017. Oh, uh, that is 20 years. Indeed. <laughs> yes. Indeed. My so, old man. Thank you for being my husband. Aw. Cheers to that. Thank you. Thank you. I can't believe it's been... Now, that's when I can't believe it's been 20 years, because it doesn't really feel like 20 years have passed. Yeah. 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 It's been awesome. I look forward to the next 20. Which we'll celebrate here on, like, episode 4,000 <laughs> 4, and something. Probably. Probably. <laughs> so give us a quick update of what you've been up to this week. I've been writing a lot this week. We didn't get any edits back this week for either book that we have <laughs> that we have in progress. So I got to focus the week on writing. And I've been doing it all this week by using the transcription function in Dragon. Mm-hmm. So hands have not really hit the keyboard at all. Yeah. And yet, I've done about 3,000 words a day. So I generated about 18,000 words across the week, which is just blows my mind, really. Because I'm getting about 1,000 words per 20-minute sprint. Mm-hmm. Typically, typing, even if I was really cranking, I might get 800. But usually, my average was more back in the, in the 600, 600 to 650. So to get a thousand words per twenty minutes and three thousand words in an hour makes me so very happy. Mm-hmm. Um, the transcriptions seem to be coming through. I will call them fairly clean. Uh, there's some issues with me. I don't always my diction's not always fantastic, so it confuses it a little bit. And I admit somehow I forget uh, my punctuation occasionally. I'll just I won't say comma or period or question mark. It just I'll have it for a little bit, and then it'll be gone. And I can't, because I'm doing the transcription, I can't back up and put it in easily. So I'll just have to clean all that up and edit. But I'm very pleased that I'm cranking this this quickly. And uh, so I might, I should have the first draft of Winger done by the end of September at that rate. Fantastic. Winger 3, rather. Good news. I should also mention, reach back here to my bookshelf, I actually got my paperbacks. For Tracker Hacker this week. This was totally unexpected because the release of this book is still about six weeks out. Mm -hmm. Uh, But my paperbacks came in the mail and uh, couldn't be more thrilled with how the cover looks. Aaron Anderson, you did a great job. And uh, yeah, October 17th, these will be out. And in fact, this this makes for a decent segue, actually. Um, I've been talking the last few weeks about donating to Cycle for the Cause. Uh, That ride's coming up in just a couple weeks. It's September 14th through 17th. And uh, your $100 donation can go a long way. It'll actually prevent seven HIV transmissions by distributing safer sex kits. It'll administer eight HIV tests at the LGBT Center in New York to ensure that more people know their HIV status. And it can provide care for 10 HIV plus people, positive people rather, to help them lead happy, healthy lives. Now, for the past few years, I've been a member of Team Kyle. And Kyle... Kyle Speedle is who this team is named after. He did the ride for many years, and I believe it's five years ago now he actually passed. And his friends got together. It was initially three friends got together to continue his legacy on the ride, to continue to raise awareness and raise money on this cause. And I met them that first year they rode. They were back near me. I was riding riding, uh, Caboose that year. It was the last year that I did the ride as Caboose. And they were new, so they were back with me, and just their... Their 
team spirit and their cohesiveness as a team and their desire to be out there for their friend really touched me. And I was honored the next year to be invited to be a member of their team. And I continue to be a member as I ride virtually this year. So my funds that you helped me raise go towards Team Kyle and the memory of Kyle Speedle. So if you donate $100, you can actually get a paperback copy of Tracker Hacker. Uh, when it comes out, I will send you an autographed copy of that. And to donate, you can go to biggayfictionpodcast.com slash cycle2017. Fantastic. Indeed. I hope they raise tons of money this year, both Team Kyle as a team and the, uh, the organization as a whole. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, I don't know if you know this, or if our listeners know this, is that occasionally I experience episodes of, I don't know if I'd call it ESP per se, but <laughs> sometimes I am contacted by spirits. Let's say spirits from across the planes of time and space. Okay. <laughs> and actually... On this very special episode, I'm getting a, a warm, tingly feeling. It's not the champagne. I think I'm experiencing one of those episodes right now. In fact, I think I'm getting a message. Hmm, someone is reaching out across the veil between our world and theirs. It's, I'm hearing a voice. I think it's Jacqueline Suzanne. Oh my goodness. Jacqueline is telling me... Uh, what wait? What was that, Jackie? Oh, she wants you to know that the fiftieth anniversary of Valley of the Dolls is available now in all your favorite retailers, and it makes a wonderful Christmas gift. But she's also telling me, she's also telling me that you can support the Big Gay Fiction podcast by going to Patreon.com. <gasps> she's a wise woman. She's very very wise. Now, if you want to help support this podcast and help it reach another 100 episodes all you have to do is go to patreon patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash big gay fiction podcast and we'll have all the details on how you can help join and for as little as 25 cents an episode help keep this podcast going for another 100 episodes. Yep, and you'll even get access to bonus episodes that we do. Mm -hmm. We say this is only our 100th episode. There's actually a few more than that out there in the world yeah. between some bonuses that we've done. But yeah, you'll get access to the bonus episodes. You'll be able to ask questions of our guests if you pledge at the $3 and $5 level. So there are, there are benefits to being a patron. Yes. So thank you, Jacqueline, for showing up on this very special 100th episode. And if you'd like more information on how you can support this show, just go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Want to be among the first to know what's coming up on the Big Gay Fiction Podcast? Join the Big Gay Fiction Podcast monthly newsletter. As a subscriber, you'll get our exclusive coloring pages that you can download and color. You can even send us your artistic creations and we'll display them in our online gallery. Go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com and sign up on the homepage. So you've been reading a lot this week. You finished a book, finished two books, actually. What have you got for us on this 100th episode spectacular? <laughs> well, on this 100th episode spectacular, <laughs> I uh, have actually two books I want to talk about. The first one is Owning It. It is the third book in the Metropolis series by Riley Hart and Devin McCormick. Now, uh, quick story. Uh, back in RT, 
earlier this spring, uh, I essentially accosted Riley Hart. <laughs> Instead of saying, like, hi, like a normal person, I said, when's the Night Metropolis book coming out? And she was very kind and very gracious. Uh, and um, when she was probably thinking, like, who the fuck is this crazy person? <laughs> so thank you, Riley, for being so nice. Uh, and even though I accosted you and was grilling you about the next book, uh, book three in Metropolis series, uh, I have only just now, the book came out after RT, and here we are in September, and I'm only just now finishing owning it. Uh, so, uh, bad reader, I apologize. <laughs> um... But so, you, you liked it, as, as, as you've told me this week. I loved it to pieces. Okay, Owning It is, as I said, book three in the Metropolis series. Um, the book starts with uh, flirtatious twink Derek climbing into Jackson's Jeep because he mistakenly thinks it's his Uber. He's trying, he's like, you know, had a little too much to drink one night and uh, he crawls into Jackson's Jeep. And Jackson, being the very nice guy that he is, uh, doesn't want uh, anyone taking advantage of Derek in his inebriated condition. So he takes Derek back to his place so he can sleep it off. That's nice. And hence launches the saga of Derek and Daddy Jackson. Uh Derek is immediately enamored with Jackson, who's like a sexy older dude. Uh, Jackson has also immediately got his eye on Derek, but is willing to invest a little more time in their burgeoning relationship. Now, Derek is relentlessly flirtatious uh, <laughs> in the early stages of their friendship, but Jackson is more interested in making it... Mm, more serious. He actually uh, wants to invest time in them being friends and getting to know each other before they actually hook up. Uh, so what was so fun and sexy about this particular book is the time it takes for them to actually jump into bed. Um, a couple of the other books in this series, it was sort of the, the main characters hooked up and then they kind of took the rest of the book to kind of figure out what their relationship meant. Mm -hmm. This one was a teeny bit of a, a slow burn. They actually waited until <laughs> halfway through the book <laughs> before they hopped into bed. And uh, it was, of course, explosive and amazing. Um, and what's What was so enjoyable about Derek and Jackson uh, in this particular book is that while on the outside they may seem, you know, completely incompatible... Um, they've actually got a lot in common. Uh, primarily, they both are have family issues that they have to deal with. They're both both taking care of loved ones who are in declining health. Um, and Jackson sort of has to feel he feels like he has to present this constant, image of uh, strength that he's always in control while on the opposite end Derek is sort of he presents this sort of flighty silly kind of slutty uh, twink image uh, in order to um, hide the the pain and the the things that he's feel the things that have gone on in his past anyway 
Um, I am a little tipsy at the moment, so I may be not being able to uh, describe them perfectly, but I really, really enjoyed Derek and Jackson's story. So I highly recommend owning it, the third book in the Metropolis series. Uh, you, of course, don't have to read the other previous books. While um, Derek's friends from books one and two do make an appearance in owning it, you don't have to read those first two books in order for uh, in order to enjoy owning it. So I highly recommend it. Thank you, Riley and Devin, and I hope there are more Metropolis books in the future. The second book I read uh, is by Annabeth Albert. It is called Off Base. And I'm going to do something different. I'm going to actually read uh, everybody the uh, blurb for this particular book because I think it perfectly captures the voice of the novel uh, as well as doing what a good blurb should do it sells the book and makes you want to read it so okay. really quickly after trading the barracks for a fixer upper rental navy seal zach nelson wants peace not a roommate especially not pike who sees things about zach he most wants to hide pike's flirting puts virgin zach on edge and the questions pike's arrival would spark from zach's teammates about his own sexuality nope not going there, but Zack can't refuse. Pike Reynolds knows there won't be a warm welcome in his new home. What can he say? He's an acquired taste. But he needs this change to get his life together. Also, teasing the uptight seal will be hella fun. Still, <laughs> Pike has to tread carefully. He's had his fill of tourists in the past, and he can't risk his heart on another. Not even one as hot, as built, and okay, yeah, as adorable as Zack. Living with Pike crumbles Zack's restraint and feels, fuels his curiosity. He discovers how well they fit together in bed, in the shower, in the hallway. He needs Pike more than he could have ever imagined, yet he doesn't know how to be the man Pike deserves. Good blurb. <laughs> wow, see, Annabeth, see, go. See, I told you. That's essentially the setup for Off Base. So, um, Zack uh, needs a place to stay. So he decides to um, uh, rent a room with uh, Zach. He's the Navy SEAL. Uh, this whole series actually takes, uh, takes place in the uh, world of, of Navy SEALs. And anyway, Zach is living off base because he's um, sick and tired of some of the harassment he's getting from some of his team member members. Mm. So he's living in this rental and in lieu of rent, he's essentially, you know, uh, rehabbing this rental. You know, he's redoing the floors and painting the walls, that sort of thing. And he's getting help from Pike. Uh, because poor Zach, despite being, you know, being a, a macho Navy SEAL, he has uh, no idea what he's doing when it comes to home renovation. So uh, <laughs> Zach, <laughs> so Pike helps him on, on that account. So while they're becoming friends and getting to know each other and fixing up this house, um, the attraction starts to blossom. And uh, the reference to tourist in that blurb refers to Zach uh, and his never having been with a guy before. So mm. Zach, I mean, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm getting their names mixed up. I am a little tipsy right now. I've had like what a glass and a, I've had a glass, glass and, and a half, half of pink champagne. <laughs> this is an interesting episode. Anyway, so <laughs> so 
Pike takes it upon himself to kind of show Zack the gay ropes, and they be kind of become friends with benefits. And this weighs heavily on Zack, because he doesn't know what that means to, to his SEAL career. Um, both of these characters, I'm on, I want to say this up front, is that I had a problem with this book. Not that the book was bad, because it wasn't. It was actually quite excellent, and I enjoyed it a lot. The problem I had with this book is, is that it times made me very uncomfortable. I think what Annabeth manages to do in this particular story is really kind of drill down into the emotions and Zach's anxieties about uh, coming to terms with his own sexuality and, you know, coming out, essentially. It's kind of a coming out story. Mm -hmm. So um, that made me uncomfortable. Those emotions are very real in the book, and it kind of brought me back to that headspace when I was doing that in my early 20s, just like the characters in the book. One other thing is, is that both of the characters are in their early 20s, and they're both very concerned about... <sighs> about what other people think of them, uh, especially Zack. Um, he's got some, frankly, really shitty people in his life, uh, and he spends an inordinate amount of time presenting a, uh, a front. He wants to be the perfect seal for these people, um, and he doesn't have to. Um, their opinion shouldn't matter. Mm, um, true. He needs to be true to himself. Uh, and that's what he comes to realize throughout the course of the book. Um, there's, you know, trials and tribulations. Their friendship blossoms into romance. There's a health scare. Um, there are cranky cats. <laughs> this story's kind of got it all. I really, really enjoyed Off Base. Uh, and I highly recommend uh, everyone check it out. Uh, thank you, Annabeth Albert, for a really wonderful read. Cool. So just really quickly, I have one book. Mm -hmm. uh, I finally finished Out of the Shadows uh, by Casey Wells. We talked about this book a couple of weeks back mm -hmm. when Casey was on the show because Will had read it and I was in progress. I will just really quickly say, without rehashing what the book was, uh, it was so good. I loved... Uh, not only Christian and Josh finding their way to each other, but Christian finding his way truly out of the shadows, like the book, as as with the title of the book. Um, his his way to come back into a more normal life uh, after he was scarred in the accident that happens in the book uh, was really beautiful. And I think Casey not only did a great job of the slow burn between these characters, but of also the the slow gentle way that Josh helped Christian come back into being around people. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely second high recommendation for Casey Wells's Out of the Shadows. Yes. So earlier this week, I had the opportunity to speak with Andrew Gray, uh, who recently got the Centennial Award from the RWA, the Romance Writers of America, uh, which means he's published more than one hundred romances, which is an incredible feat. Uh, considering that he's only written since about, I believe it was 2009, mm -hmm. if I'm remembering the interview correctly. Uh, we talk about the award, we talk about a book he's got coming out this very week, as well as he got how he got started in all this and the books he was reading that kind of sparked his career. 
I'm very excited to welcome to the podcast Andrew Gray. Andrew is the author of more than 100 books, and the Romance Writers of America recently presented him with the Centennial Award for this accomplishment. He is the first male and the first writer of gay romance to receive the award. After 27 years in corporate America, Andrew settled down in central Pennsylvania with his husband Dominic and his laptop. Andrew's hobbies include collecting antiques, gardening, and leaving his dirty dishes anywhere but in the sink, particularly when writing. And he considers himself blessed with an accepting family, fantastic friends, and the world's most supportive and loving partner. Welcome, Andrew. Hey, it's great to be here. Congratulations on the Centennial Award. That is quite the accomplishment. 100 books. I, I can't even fathom that right now because <laughs> it's so amazing. What does this award mean to you? Um, it's, to me, it means a sort of acceptance in a, in a broader, broad sort of way. Um, that not only is there a readership that, that reads a lot of my books and enjoys my books, but it also means that, that we have a gay romance author that has, that has joined the RWA Centennial List along with Heather Graham and Debbie Maycumber and Nora Roberts. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it is really fantastic. Um, when I got the award, I took pictures with some other authors, and Heather Graham and I took took a picture with me and the award. So two Centennial Award winners and the award. And when I told Heather about it, um, it was really fun. I told her about it at RT. She laughed, and she says, well, as long as I'm on top, it's fine with me. <laughs> she, just below her on the list. <laughs> Now you actually crossed that hundred bookmark earlier this year. Where? What are you up to now? Um, well, the hundredth book officially was setting the hook, which came out in May. That was the one hundredth book. So there has been another book in June. There's been another book in July. There was another book in August. There's an and then and then um, um, never let you go is September. There's another book. In, there's two books in October. There's Taming the Beast and then Dirk's Hell and Back. And I'm working somewhere out in January, February at this point. So we're at about 110 at this point mm-hmm. as far as writing, 110 novels. Um, RWA only counts novels. Okay. What, so what do they count a novel as? What's their break point? 40,000 words. Okay. So that's what they counted as. So it's it's a hundred works of four of the length of forty thousand and more. Right, and that are actually published. And as you've obviously written, as you said, into the one tens already. <laughs> yes, but it, and it's it's published and meets certain financial criteria. Oh, okay. So yes, so they have to meet what RWA says is pan, which is in other words. The book has to be published, and it has to meet certain financial criteria. So you can't just be putting books out. You have to actually have to make money on a certain amount of money on each and every book in order for it to count. That's awesome. That's even more than I than I had understood it to be. So yeah, even more congratulations on that because yeah, we all know how hard it is to to necessarily you know hit hit financial goals with with books these days. Yes, yeah. So each one has each book, each title has to meet a certain financial threshold. Now, you've got a book coming out this week on September 8th called Never Let You Go, which is the second in Forever Yours. Tell us what we've got to look forward to in that book. Well, I had so much fun with this book because 
It's set in Biglerville, Biglerville, Pennsylvania, which is about 20 miles south of a small town, you know, street, you know, we've all heard about Hershey with the, with the street lights that are, that are shaped like kisses. They have street lights shaped like apples. <laughs> That's adorable. It's orchard country. And these are all about, these books are all about, um, they start with that basic, very basic romance trope. Never Let You Go is, um, it's two men. They've known each other since high school. Uh, the one the one character left to join the military. And he, he came back and he returned and then he never didn't return. He didn't come home. And they thought he was dead. And he instead had been taken prisoner and the whole thing had been hushed up by the military. So basically his love thinks he's dead. He's been mourning for a long time. And then he returns. And when and when he returns, he's broken. He's been he's been a prisoner. He's been tortured. He can't walk very well. He comes back to town and he sees the love of his life with another man and he turns another man and a child. Mm. He believes he believes fully believes that he's moved on, got somebody else and he turns and walks away. That's quite the setup. (laughs) And that's just the prologue. (laughs) And then the story starts. And you're right, that's very traditional romance there. You know, a lot of the romance tropes, a lot of things like that don't work anymore. In this day of, of instant communications, of cell phones, of texting, of everything else, everybody knows everything about everyone else, Facebook, Twitter, social media, all of that. So it was very difficult. How do you come up with a situation that it would actually work? And you, when, when, if he was in the military, the military controls everything. The military, for whatever reason, had decided that they weren't talking about this, this last mission. This last mission didn't happen. And then, of course, and then of course, I'm not going to tell you who the other man and the little boy are. Well, no. Now, looking back to when you started all this... How did you actually get started in this genre? What what got you going? We we had moved to Central Pennsylvania, and Dominic and I we have a pool in the backyard, and my father's birthday is right around the Fourth of July, so my father turns seventy, and we had a big party for him in the backyard around the pool, and everybody um, at the time told me how much I looked like my father. Now, that was twelve years ago. I was forty two years old. I most certainly did not want to look like my 70-year-old father. No. <laughs> so I decided that I needed to look less my, like my 70-year-old father, and I went to the gym. I started working out. I started losing weight. But what the hell are you going to do with an hour of treadmill time? Just stand there and stare at the wall or, the worst, the television? No. So I started reading. And... For some reason, Amazon seemed to figure out that I was gay and recommended a couple gay romances, and I bought them. Because what what in the heck makes um, what makes treadmill time go faster than reading sex? Absolutely. Nothing. So I started reading the books. I sort of fell in love with them. They had happy endings. Mm-hmm. You know the the when I was your age and a little bit younger, um, all the books were it was the AIDS era. All the books everybody died. So I didn't read gay fiction for for a very long time. It was too depressing. Mm-hmm. Then I found the romance. It had happy it had happy endings. It was like the sun came out. Then I started reading them, and then I got this crazy idea. I'm going to try to write one. 
didn't tell anybody I did. I didn't even tell Dominic until I was halfway through the manuscript. Wow. Yeah, I didn't even tell anybody. Because I wasn't sure it was going to work out. I wasn't sure if it was going to work, if it was going to come together. And it did. It was a it wasn't a great book by any means, but I actually completed a 60,000 word manuscript. And that's excellent because there are so many people who say they want to write a book and never get around to putting pen to paper or fingers on keyboard. And there you had this manuscript now. I had the manuscript and I, I did get it published eventually, but it's not really important. But what, what is important is I actually did it. Mm -hmm. And then I did it again. And then I did it again. Um, I wrote three books in six months. And then I ended up playing with those books for the next six months. I wasn't really writing. I was figuring out what I wanted to do with the books that I had written. And um, I, I started, then I started looking for publishers, started looking for submissions. It was very hard to let them go. Mm-hmm. The first book got published, and then the, the actually the third book I wrote, which was Children of Bacchus, which was the first one with Dream Spinner, I submitted to them, and they took it. And then they took um, The Best Revenge, which was actually the second book I wrote, which was published third. And Elizabeth, I met her at an expo in New York, and she said, what's next? And I had nothing. I had started a couple of manuscripts that didn't work out because I didn't like them. And I sort of got bored with them and, and figuring they were too formulaic, they were too this, there was nothing interesting about them. And Elizabeth said, what's next? I want this one. I want the follow-up to Children of Bacchus, which turned out to be Thursday's Child. So I said, oh, okay. So I went home and wrote it in about five or six weeks. Wow. So you've always been a fast writer, it sounds like. Yeah, I was wrote it in about five or six weeks, wrote that book. Then after that, the, 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 flood, the floodgates opened. I wrote... Um, my brother opened a wine store, and out of that came Bottled Up. After that came um, Love Means No Shame, which I wrote one chapter a day. There are 19 chapters in the book, and I wrote it a chapter a day. And, and then the other books just started to come. When you were reading the romances on the treadmill, were there ones in particular that struck you, that stood out as like, I want to write like this? Were there authors there who inspired you at the time? Um, J.L. Langley was one that inspired me, only because hers were such a fun read. Hers were so much fun, and she had a lot going on in those books. Yes, there was the romance, but she always had other things going on. She managed to really make, um, there were some twists, there were some turns in them, there were some things you don't expect to see coming. She had really interesting characters. I wanted to write like her. Mm -hmm. I... I actually took all of her books, her early books, and I broke them down into character and and um, and to how she had done what she had done. I actually studied the books. Oh, this character has this and this and this background and this and this and this background. And this is this is the plot and this is where the plot turned. And this is the bad guy and this is how he was developed and all of that. And it really helped. And I joined an RWA chapter in March of 2009. I was the only guy in the chapter. In fact... There have been three men that have visited the chapter and none have stayed. I'm the only been the only guy <laughs> in the chapter permanently since 2009. And they helped me immensely. But the president of RWA right now is Leslie Kelly. And Leslie Kelly lives in my area of the country. Mm. And she spoke, came to our chapter and spoke about characters and conflict. How you develop the characters and how they can help develop conflict. And... Her, the material that she used and used in there, I still use every single book. After all of these books, 
I made her cry at RWA this year when I told her that because, you know, she changed my writing life. Mm-hmm. It was one class, it was one hour class, and she changed my writing life. Yeah, and it's important to have people like that. Everybody, I think every author needs at least one instance of that. Well, you and you need you need one person or one topic or one um, session where it really makes the light go on, where something really makes sense. And once that happens, you can build on it. How would you say the writing's evolved over the years? It's gotten more complex gotten much more complex. Characters are more more complex. Um, The conflicts are more complex. I'm able to see stories in places I never would have seen it before. Oh, such as? There was a newspaper article on a man who had been wrongly convicted of murder and how his sister had worked all those years to try to prove he was innocent. And that, that was just a newspaper article. Um, so I used that, used that and went from there. Um, there's a story called um, Legal Artistry. And it's based on the same story that my story is based on the same story that the movie The Woman in Gold is based on. Oh. I heard the story somewhere and, oh, wow, that would make a really, really great romance novel. And off I went. Um, sculpture, art. Dominic always get, get, sends me great internet stories. Do you just keep it? Do you have a notebook or? I have a notebook and I and I bookmark the internet stories so I can come back to them when I'm ready for it. I've got one right now that the that once I finish the book I'm working on, which it doesn't even have a title yet. All I all I keep I keep referring it to as Blazing Saddles meets Footloose. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> can you comedy. tease that one a little bit? Because I'm curious how those come together. Um, both movies are have both movies have the theme of acceptance, but it's the footloose in that the bad in that the the, the the man they need to really overcome is the reverend father, and the love interest is the sheriff. It just how, how my mind plays with these two things and brings them together, and you end up with something interesting and different. I've got a dream spot. I've got a story. It's going to be the Ernest Earl um, of Ecstasy. That's a great dream spun title. <laughs> Just, yep. I can Ernest totally Earl see that. of Ecstasy. <laughs> and it's going to have elements of, what is it, The Trouble of Being Earnest? Oh, The Importance Oscar of Wilde. Being Earnest, It's yeah. going to have some elements of Oscar Wilde in it. That's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Sometime in That's 2018, I guess, we'll see that one. Yeah, that one will be, all these that I'm working on now are for 2018. What, what would you say that the, the trademark of an Andrew Gray book is? Ooh, that's a little hard. Well, first thing, it's got to have a great romance. It's really got to have great characters and a great romance. Um, now, uh, the trademark, generally low angst. I generally don't like to read really angsty books, so I don't write really angsty books. But I do have a philosophy that a book of mine has got to do three things. It's got to make you laugh, it's got to make you cry, and it's got to get you excited. That's three great Those things three to have, things. for sure. Those are the three things that every book should do. You know, they should have that moment where you laugh through it. Um, I just finished a book um, called Buried Passions, which is for January. The premise is I inherited a cemetery and a hunky groundskeeper. <laughs> so yeah. I got to do things. I got to put really great one-liners in there, like I own dead people. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> But yeah, how often do you think of actually, you know, the passing of the cemetery when, when the owner yeah. when the owner dies? But yeah, it's got to be interesting. You've got to do something that that is different. It's got to be something that 
got to have a hook to it, but it's got to be funny. You got to laugh. You've got to cry a little bit and you got to have hot sex. I mean, come on, why read an entire book if you're not going to have hot sex? <laughs> now, with so many books written, is there a subgenre or a trope along the way that you want to explore but just haven't been able to yet? I actually swear that if I, there isn't a trope that I really wanted to explore, I've done it. I even did a book for a trope that I swore I would never, ever do. Oh, which I is? Actually, I actually did two of them in that trope. Eyes Only For You and Eyes Only For Me use the gay for you slash buy for you trope. Mm -hmm. But I did it I did it as, as the character determines that he's bisexual. It learns that he's not, not just attracted to women, but he also learns that they're attracted to men. Or at least a particular man. Um, that was my own spin on it because I couldn't just do the gay for you thing. That just didn't work for me. Right. But I, I did. I did that. That Ronnie in the one book learned that he's bisexual. Yeah, and I think that works because we've it, we've it, talked it, on the show periodically about how we don't like gay for you in particular either because it's just really that you're bi. You may not have labeled yourself that yet, but that's that's what it is. Yes, exactly. And and I hate the gay for you trope because it it cheap, cheapens the 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 journey. It cheapens the self discovery that you have to go through to figure out who you are. Mm-hmm. Totally you know, agree on that. Yeah, particularly the earlier ones. The and, you know ones that are being done now tend to tend to be more in depth. But some of the early ones were pretty pretty surface. Now you write, if I did the math right from what you mentioned before, you do about a book a month. Uh, three to three and a half weeks. Three to three and a half weeks. So in a year, you're getting twelve to fifteen, maybe. Sixteen is what I do. Wow. See, my 16. math is bad, too. Now, on a normal year, this is an abnormal year because of the of the adjusting the schedule, but normally it would be 12 Andrews and four Dirk books in a year. Does Jeff Lawton play into that anymore? Jeff, Jeff Lawton's retired. Aw. He's, ha he's happily, he's happily um, riding his horses and managing his farm and <laughs> sleeping next to Eli. He's happy he's not riding anymore. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, with 16 books... What's your process look like from the time you start writing a title to the time you, you know, get it to where Dream Spinner's ready to publish it? Well, the the first thing is I actually have to write the book. Yes. And, and there's three, three weeks three right there. Half, that's three to three and a half weeks. Then once I've written the book, I turn it over to Dominic and I go on to the next book. Dominic then reviews the manuscript. He reviews it for my errors. He cleans up my typos. He cleans up my punctuation, which I'm crap at punctuation. Me I'm too. awful at punctuation. Then I go through, um, I look at his notes. I make any changes that I feel I need to change. Go, go through, my, give it to my betas, let them go through it. Meanwhile, I'm happily writing the next book. Then once that's, all that's done and I've made my final changes, I submit it to Dream Spinner, and then it goes through the editorial process. Are you handling what they send back, or does Dominic take the pass on that? No, I handle, I handle the edits that they send back. I do not handle the final text review, and I do not handle galleys. Dominic does both of those. Nice. Because when, I'm at, when, they, when they send me the manuscript, I don't see what's, what's, supposed, what's there. I see what's supposed to be there. Okay, never was never really good at seeing what was there. Dominic's great at it. 
So he does that final text edit review for me, and then he also looks at the galley. And I'm happily writing the next book. Sure. I mean, in the time it takes for production to happen, you might have written two books. Or three books. Yeah. Yes. How do you manage, like, your daily process? Do you start with the writing and then deal with edits, or does it just mishmash, however, wherever your feeling is for the day? The writing always comes first. Edits never get touched until I've done my words for the day. And what are the words for the day? On a, on a bad day, 3,000, I really shoot for 4,000 words a day. That's awesome. Um, which, which means that there will be some days that I don't, that I sure. can't write, or, or that I just need to take a day off. So if I can get 3,000 words a day, it's, it's good. I really want four, but it depends. Do you take weekends off, or are you writing weekends too? Six days a week. But weekends, it's, weekends it's, are 3,000 word days. They're not four, they're three. 1,000 in the morning before noon, 1,000 in the afternoon, and 1,000 in the evening. I like how it splits across the day just to... Mm -hmm. Write a thousand words. Oh, I can read now, or I can take a nap now, or I can watch TV now, or I can go out and do this now. And then come back in the afternoon. Okay, write another thousand words. Oh, I'm tired. I can take a nap now. I earned it. <laughs> and as we were talking about earlier it you've always seemed to be fairly fast because even those early books you were getting them done in five to six weeks what do you think has made you so fast from the get-go i'm goal oriented i'm not good i don't i don't play around i don't i don't meander through a book i start the book i start it with with whatever the first words are and i write until the last words I don't, look, I don't generally look back through the manuscript. I don't generally second-guess myself. I can go back and I can change things in edits. I can change things in review. But I don't go through and change a whole bunch of stuff and worry about what's already been written. Mm -hmm. Once the words are on the page, we just keep going. Unless I come up later and really come up with something at the end. Oh, this book would be really, really good if I added this. Oh, well, I can add this, 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 and this here, bing, 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 and then, oh, it works. Okay, back, back, you know, towards the end when I'm, I may do that, but that's pretty rare. How much of an outline do you tend to start with? It's all in my head. Is it a fairly good outline in your head, or, or are you the, the pantser who just lets it kind of roll? I've started with an idea or a concept. I know what the beginning's going to look like. Of course, I know what the end's going to look like because it's a romance which does make it a little easy. And I generally know the one or two major turning points in the book, what, what is going to precipitate the one, one or two really major turning points in the book. You know, what is going to make them actually realize that they love each other, and then what is going to be the item that's going to rip them apart. I know those sorts of things because those are inherent in the characters and the conflict. And, and I know the setting because I have already figured out the setting. Sometimes... I mean, some and, and the craziest thing is sometimes you never know what's going to come first. I've started some books with the setting is what came first. Generally because yeah. you've been somewhere that looks good for setting or, or seen it? Ooh, ooh, I've got this really great idea for this, 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 this town on the eastern shore of Maryland that's inhabited by people that are fairy tale um, archetypes. And, and ooh, I, you know, if I, I can do, say, I can have it, it's going to be named St. Giles, and the first book is going to be Taming the Beast, so it's going to be Beauty and the Beast book, and he's going to be the Beast of St. Giles, and all and, and on it came. And we have Taming the Beast coming in October. <laughs> I like it's that. A, it, just... It's a contemporary, but, you know, it's got the Taming, it's got the Beauty and the Beast archetype. Mm-hmm. 
The next one in that series is going to have the Cinderella archetype or the Cinderfella archetype, if you will. <laughs> I love, I really love that archetype because that way I get to play with a really dysfunctional family. Mm-hmm. And what can, you know, and, and what kind of dysfunctional person can comes out of a dysfunctional family? Because let's face it, Cinderella was was just too nice and too good for words to come out of that completely dysfunctional family. Yeah, so, so I, it'll be interesting to see what you do with Cinderella. And yeah, it's going to be fun. I actually did did a book with a Cinderella type um, with a, with with a Cinderella type character, and that one was Fire and Hail, which just came out last month in July. And I love that. I love that story because. In there, he realizes that he's Cinderella. Oh. Yes. He was just like, oh, my God, because it's his stepfather that's been causing him all the trouble. It's like, I'm Cinder-frickin-rella. <laughs> I don't want to be Cinderella. Of course, the part, and then the partner says, the partner says, which I absolutely love. I love this exchange. Well, you know, in the real stories, the the, the birds came down and pecked out the, the, the you know, the, the, the evil stepsister's eyes. Mm-hmm. In the grim fairy tales, they were grim. <laughs> he says, and he starts running to the computer, and he says, where can I get some goddamn eye-pecking-out birds? Ah, Amazon, the <laughs> best of them, everything else. Oh, I love that. If Amazon could get them, that would be amazing. <laughs> yes, yes, step-parent step, step, step eye-pecking-out birds. <laughs> and since they're birds, they could deliver themselves. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Now, you mentioned that uh, Jeff Lawton has retired. Uh, what's going yeah. on with Dirk these days? Well, because of this other schedule, Dirk is good eye on, on hiatus, at least as far as writing goes. He'll start up after the first of the year. But we do have um, Helen Back coming in, in late October for GRL. Nice. Okay. And I, that one was the best. I, I love that book. I love that book because the guy that ends up dead in the backyard is a lawyer. <laughs> and you know how it is what what do you call a thousand lawyers at the at the bottom of the sea a good start <laughs> we apologize to any lawyers who may be listening to the show <laughs> are you kidding i heard that joke from a lawyer <laughs> where are the lines between what's an andrew gray book and what's a dirk grayson book um dirk books are going to be much more suspenseful um they're generally going to be there's going to be more action um, and Dirk also does paranormal. So Dirk has a paranormal series, the Yellowstone Wolves series. So basically, basically, it's going to be um, suspense, romantic suspense, and paranormal. When I was writing before I started Helen Back, th- that was in, on my calendar, and I didn't have an idea for the book. And I was on the phone with Elizabeth and my publisher, and I told her that you know I'm supposed to start this book in about three days, and I don't have an idea for it. And she says, well, we can just work it around in the schedule. And I says, no, 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 you don't seem to understand. I need to kill people now. <laughs> Every now and then, I just need to kill people. And Dirk is there to help you when that happens. And Dirk, and Dirk is there to help me when that happens because I can actually kill people. Nice. In fiction, of course, but I can kill people. Now, besides all this writing that you do, which we've already ascertained is a lot. You're also in charge of Dream Spinner's audiobook production. Mm-hmm. How did you end up taking that on, and what does that involve? Um, in 2013, I went to GRL in Atlanta, and the evil day job was getting more and more evil by the day. 
And so I called Elizabeth when I got home and explained to her what I what I what I was looking for, what I wanted, and she said, oh, "I've got the perfect job for you because it requires a lot of coordination. It requires a lot of moving pieces and parts and and just people to coordinate." She says, "I want to start up audiobooks again because I have found this up, found this process that we can use to do it, and I'm looking for somebody to do it." And it was like, "Sign me on. Yeah. I do it part time." And it's something that I can do around other things. Um, what it involves, it, it involves me coordinating auditions and, and coordinating with all of the auditor, all the um, narrators, as well as the authors, getting them, getting some of them to, to choose a narrator, then negotiating contracts with the narrators, making sure that the narrators actually follow up and actually do what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. then, then coordinate with the, with the audiobook reviewers to make so that when we do get the audiobook that they listen to it and that it, you know, that we catch any errors and that it's reviewed, make sure that the changes are made, uh, set up payment, all of that sort of stuff. How many audiobooks roughly are in production in, at any one time? At any one time, 30 to 40 are in various stages of production. That's amazing. Uh, and it seems that all the Dream Spun Desires go to audio too. All Dream Spun Desires in both lines, both of the Dream Spun lines, go into audiobook. Oh, so the I Beyonds have, will be coming soon then. The other ones are coming. Nice. They're they're all they're in production. The first ones are actually very near complete. I have a company that I've worked with for a number of years. They do excellent audiobook production, and he now has a stable of four to five narrators, and so they do all of those for us. The Dreamspun, you know, we work with our authors to choose the narrators, but the Dreamspuns are the ones they the authors don't choose. They go to a production company, and they do all of them for us. Oh, nice. That must help streamline that since they're always coming it stream, up. It streamlines that, and, I, and I'm able to get a better deal. I'm able to get a good enough deal on the production that I can actually do all of the Dreamspun desires rather than picking and choosing the only picking and choosing the ones that do best. By doing it that way, I can actually do the keep doing the entire line. As an author, how, how is it like for you to hear your work done as an audiobook? Oh, God, no, I don't want to hear it. Okay. Okay. Don't want to hear it because I'll hear every mistake, every, oh God, why did I word, word that sentence that way? Or why did I do this? No, I don't want to listen to my own work. So I don't, I just don't. Thank goodness. I have, I have uh, reviewers who, who listen to all of these, um, all of the audiobooks. I have one reviewer that's listened to 400. Cool. Yeah. She's, she's done hundreds of audiobooks for me. And even even and we've done some of her work in audiobook, but I don't send it to her. I always send it to somebody else. Um, I'd never I'd never ever have an author listen to their own audiobook. It's just my rule. Don't have it done. So I was going to ask, and I, actually I will ask it. So we get a nice summary. What's coming up for you the rest of this year after Never Let You Go comes out? Okay, well I've got Taming the Beast, which is the definite Beauty and the Beast. Oh, this is so much fun because the beast is gorgeous. Of course he is. <laughs> He's beastly on the inside. Beauty was mauled by a bear as a as a teenager, but he's gorgeous on the inside. So it they I definitely twisted them from the ex inside and the outside. Terry Brisbane, who whose Beauty and the Beast story was taming the Highlander, and hers is set in 13th century Scotland. And she was she was a guest at our RWA chapter in April. And she when she came she when she was here she stayed with Dominic and I overnight. And I got to spend the whole evening talking to her. And we just talked and talked and talked. And I fell in love with her work. So 
Um, I read Her Beauty and the Beast. It's like, oh, my God, I had just finished it. We spent the evening talking about it. She says, now, do you mind if I use this and this and this? Because I got this idea for a story, and I went through the whole story, and she said, oh, that sounds amazing. So the book is dedicated to her, and she wants a copy when it comes out. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. She's amazing. Then I've got Dirk's Helen back. Kill all the lawyers. Um, in November, I have Heart Unheard which is the follow-up to Heart Unseen. One of the main characters, one of the main, it's, this is a new one for me. I've done parts of this before, but the, the one main character actually goes deaf on page. It's in an accident, in an automobile accident with head trauma, and he, at the end of it, when he comes out, when he comes around, he is deaf. Did you so, have to do a certain amount of research for that to figure out how to put it on page? Yes, and, and what could do it? And yes, it would head trauma would actually do it. Yes, I actually called my audiologist and asked him. <laughs> nice. Did that particular plot slow your writing down at all as you're having to think about how to represent? The... Yes, it's yes. Those sorts of stories, the heart heart unseen where a character is blind and heart unheard where one is deaf, that takes a lot more of the process. It takes more time. It takes a lot more thought. Um, it's not as though you can write it on autopilot. Right. You can't. You can't take anything for granted anymore. You know, with with a blind character, it's almost easier to write a blind character because there are other things. It's not just as simple as closing your eyes and ta-da, you're blind. But there are certain things that take that you take away. Mm -hmm. Okay. They can still hear. Therefore, you can still communicate with them. They can still hear. They can still talk. They can hear you talking, and they can talk back. So you're, you're dealing with communication. That's easy enough. With a blind, with a deaf character, you've removed a method, a means of communication. They can no longer hear. Therefore, how do you talk to them? How do you communicate with them? Mm -hmm. So you actually ended up. I ended up developing a method of communication that they used to talk back and forth. Because in this world, one of the other main characters. The one that's you know the the one that tells the the guy that's gone deaf to put up to to stop sniveling and to get over it and to move on is blind. So how do you get a blind guy and a deaf guy to talk to one another? Wow, yeah, interesting. I actually developed a way where the blind guy, the blind character, comes in with a computer screen that he types on. He listens to the other character and then types his answers so that the other one can read them visually. So they do it. It had. To, I actually had to develop this mechanism mm -hmm. for them to talk to one another. I like that. That's very cool. And yet you still wrote it in probably like four weeks. And it took me four weeks instead of three. But <laughs> yeah. <okay>, yeah. <laughs> and then what's coming up in December? Oh boy, December. Oh, that's Fire and Flint. That's um, the the Carlisle Cop series. The Fire and Precipitation books. <laughs> fire and Rain, Fire and Water, Fire and Sleet, Fire and Hail. Those are done. Those six books are done. But Fire and Flint is the Carlisle Deputies. It's a it's a spin-off series. Okay. And so that first book will be in December. Cool. So instead of dealing with, poli with, with borough police officers, we're dealing with county sheriffs and their sheriff deputies. And, 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 and a judge gone bad. Uh-oh. Um... Then in January, we have Buried Passions, which is I Inherited a Cemetery. That almost should be the tagline. The you... tagline is I Inherited a Cemetery. Oh, perfect. And a Hunk Groundskeeper. <laughs> I, it, it too long would be 
I inherited a cemetery and a hunky and, and a tall, dark, handsome, doesn't speak much English Bosnian groundskeeper. <laughs> Have Paul Richmond jam all that on the cover. <laughs> He'll love it. So, Andrew, what's the best way for everyone to keep up with you online so they can follow your releases uh, January oh. and beyond? Well, you can always go to my website, which is www.andrewgraybooks.com. Um, and that's always got the, the coming soon page updated with all the, the – once I get a new contract, then the, then the book goes up on the coming soon page. You can, you can follow me on – I'm on Facebook, Andrew Gray on Facebook. I'm also on Twitter as at Andrew Gray Books. Uh, Dirk Grayson has is www.dirkgrayson.com, and then we Dirk Grayson is also on 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 Facebook, and he's at Dirk Grayson as Twitter. Perfect. We will link up to all those places. Plus, we'll link up to all the books that we did talk about within our chat that we can. Whatever's on, whatever's already out there, whatever might be on pre-order already. Um, on Facebook, which Facebook sometimes drives us all crazy. True. Um, Facebook only limits me to 5,000 friends, and I have 5,000 friends. So I have to wait for somebody to, to drop off before I can add new friends. But you can also join my, my fan group, which is which is all the way with Andrew Gray. Okay. We'll link Facebook up to that group. also. And you can also link, link up to if – you, if you join all the way to, with Andrew Gray, I have, I have exclusive contests, and I do special things in the fan group. Nice. Okay. We'll definitely point people in that direction. Well, Andrew, it has been wonderful having you with us. It's been great. This has been fun. The new adult hockey romance, Rivals, by Jeff Adams, is now available in audiobook as performed by Derek McLean. Mitchell Turner and Alex Goodman squared off on the ice throughout high school. Their rivalry was tough on Mitchell because he harbored a huge crush on Alex. With high school and college behind them, they meet unexpectedly on Thanksgiving Day. Once again, on the ice. Mitchell is thrilled to see his one-time adversary all grown up. With their rivalry in the past, could this be the start of something magical for the holidays and beyond? Written by Jeff Adams and performed by Derek McLean, Rivals is available at Amazon.com, Audible, and iTunes. Also available in ebook. Get your copy today. By that 100th episode just zipped right by. <laughs> it's the champagne it's the champagne that did it all right we have to apologize that we ran out of time for our special guests uh we'll have to have patty and wolfman jack batman barbara and the hamilton cast back on some other episode mm-hmm. uh we do thank jacqueline suzanne for stopping by though that was pretty cool um what have we got coming up next week coming up in episode 101 posey roberts will be here as part of the 2017 grl blog tour mm-hmm. that'll be good yes it will So guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter if you have a book. So until next time, guys, keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and the complete episode backlist, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday on all major podcast distributors and YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 